Okay, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Bryce. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible on the ground near you. You're welcome to follow along in uh, in one of those blue Bibles. And uh, you can find um, 2 Corinthians 5 on chapter 966 in the blue church Bible. We are in a series looking at what does it look like to follow Jesus, and we are talking about the way that the gospel shapes our identity. And so this morning I'm going to read uh, just a a fairly short passage from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, starting in verse 17. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning as we uh, give our attention to God's word. It's been the practice of... Christians throughout history and even gathered around the world this morning as over a billion Christians gather each week to worship Jesus, to stand in deference and honor, giving honor to God's word. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to see Jesus more clearly and more fully, not simply in the pages of... um, this passage in the pages of your word, but would you help us to see Jesus as he's formed more fully in us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. <clears throat> well, my wife, uh, Ashley, and I started dating a long time ago. We were 17 years old. It was the weekend before I started my senior year in high school. We were children. It was um, 22 and a half years ago. Uh, We grew up together. um, uh, We've been together for a long time. We never broke up. Amazingly, she never uh, told me to go (laughs) take a walk. and, and what that means, Ashley's an only child, and that means over, over the time, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time with her family and with her, with her parents. I mean, her family is her and her parents. And uh, I have heard all the stories that her parents have to tell. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what families do is we get together and we tell stories and tell stories about the cute things that Ashley said when she was a little kid. And... Um, at a certain point, um, this is what normally happens. We'll be at her parents' house, or we'll be out to dinner together, and we'll be talking, and this kind of memory will bubble to the surface, and her mom or her dad will begin telling this story, and they will kind of tell the story, and then they'll turn to me as if to tell me this story for the first time. 
And it just, after a while, got so frustrating because I'm like, you guys, I've been around for a long time. <laughs> and you only have like eight stories anyway. And I know them all. I know the punchline of every single one of them. And I started to get a little bit almost offended about like, I know how this story, like, why are you talking to me? Like, I don't know this story. But then I realized this is how families shape an identity. This is how, as, as, as families, we tell these stories as if for the first time. And I started to realize, actually, it's funny, our wives uh, kind of roll their eyes when we do this, but Jason and I um, have a particular movie that we quote to each other all the time. And I don't think we've seen it in like two or three years, but it was kind of, we watched this movie a lot right when we were first moving here to plant this church. And so we just, we quote the line, we could probably start at the beginning, maybe we'll do that for an entertainment one, you know, time, like just start at the beginning and quote this movie back and forth to each other. We're not giving each other new information when we do this. It's part of who we are. It's part of kind of our shared like, history. It's part of our shared identity. Um, it's part of what makes us human. Human beings are the only creatures that ask the question, who am I? Uh, we use the word identity when we talk about uh, that question, who am I? Um, my dog, I don't have a dog, but dogs don't wonder who they are, ducks don't wonder who they are, buildings don't wonder who they are. Um, but one of the perennial challenges uh, that humans face is the struggle to define ourselves, to, to answer the question, who am I? Um, and it's not a question that we answer once in our life. You know, we don't discover who we are at fifth grade and just continue for the rest of our life. We continue over time in each stage and season of life to ask the question, who am I? We're in this series on discipleship where we're asking, what does it look like to follow in the way of Jesus in the world that we live in? And I've been referencing a book called uh, Faith for Exiles that kind of summarizes some research that was done by the Barna Group as they research trends related to faith and spirituality in the world that we live in. And uh, one of the things, I've referenced this the last few weeks, um, is that as our culture begins to move increasingly in the direction of secularism, uh, in, in the direction of a world that says life can be great without God, that is affecting the faith of, of everyone. And one of the interesting things in their research is that while, while the, the challenge of secularism is affecting everyone's faith, it's not affecting everyone's faith in the same way. And so some people, uh, their faith uh, is, is kind of being, being put to the test and um, it's challenging their faith, it's weakening their faith. But there's this interesting group in the bottom right corner, 10% of, um, and this is, this is um, people who grew up in a Christian home um, between the ages of 18 and 35, 10% uh, of these people as the pressures of secularism push up against us, their faith is actually being strengthened. Uh, they're responding with realism and hope in the face of increasing pressure. And so one of the fascinating things, I love this, I could talk about this all day, but one of the fascinating things that the Barna Group then did is, okay, so these 10%, what are they doing that is strengthening their faith? And they, they've uh, discovered five characteristics. What does resilience look like? And so last week we talked about uh, the first characteristic of a resilient disciple is that they, this is a person who experiences the presence of God through scripture and prayer. 
um, habitual churchgoers are people who attend church regularly but tend to not engage in spiritual practices outside of church. And so the sec- we looked at that last week. The second thing we're going to look at this morning is uh, the second characteristic of resilient disciples is that they have this conviction that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Now, that's a very broad statement. And so the way that I want to kind of draw that out for us this morning is by looking at the way that the gospel shapes our identity. The research really indicates that um, for resilient disciples, people whose faith is being strengthened like a muscle flexing against pressure, resilient disciples have an identity that is informed and shaped by the gospel. Uh, cultural Christians, habitual churchgoers, uh, nomads who don't uh, have any active faith practice but still call themselves Christians, and even a certain percent of people who have walked away from the church believe in the, or not just the church, but would no longer call themselves Christians, uh, 90% of people who grew up in a Christian um, home well, not 90%, but you understand what I'm saying. These other three groups, most of them would say, I believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. Resilient disciples are people who say, Jesus has shaped every single aspect of who I am. Resilient disciples are people who have the gospel not just in our heads, but in our bones, in our hearts, whose hearts sing with gratitude over what God has done for us. Habitual churchgoers are just trying to hang on, but resilient disciples see their faith flourishing. What does it look like to have an identity formed by the gospel? As we look at the scriptures this morning with hope that God's word is sufficient to guide us in the time that we live in, I simply want to ask two questions of this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And the first is this, what is gospel identity? What is a gospel identity? Listen again to these words. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything about my life is shaped by Christ, Paul's saying. Resilient disciples are people who have found that to be true, not just in our heads, but in our experience. So to really understand this idea of the, how the gospel forms our identity, we have to do a little bit of a, back, a background. So first of all, what do we mean when we talk about an identity? What does that mean? It's a relatively modern word. Um, people, I don't think in the you know, 1400s were walking around uh, you know, going, gosh, what, who am I? I have to discover myself. And so the concept of an identity is, is, is a fairly modern word, and yet Uh, human beings have always asked, um, how can I know that I'm acceptable? What do I need to do in life in order to be fully satisfied? Uh, Who am I? Or maybe another way to put it is, is, is like this. There are a lot of things we do. We have a lot of roles. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I have a job. I have, you know, I am a son. I have friends. I have many different roles. But what's my core identity? Who am I? Uh, when you strip all those things away, or what is the thing that is common to all of the roles that I have? Who is the real me? Who's, who, who am I when nobody is looking? Underneath everything else, what is my core identity? That's what we're talking about. What gives my life meaning and significance? What must I 
what makes life worth living? These are the questions of identity. And throughout history, there have basically been two ways that human beings have tried to answer this question of identity. Who am I? And so um, at the risk of vastly oversimplifying things, there, there are really two ways that, that we have done this. And the first, in kind of a more traditional culture, is to say that uh, I gain my identity from what my community says about me. And so in traditional cultures, um, whoever the community is that you kind of give ultimate allegiance to, that could be your family, that could be your city, that could be your nation, that could be like your guild, kind of the, the professional class in your, in your profession. Um, they, wh what you do is you sacrifice for the, the good of your community. And so you don't pursue your desires and you don't, you don't say, you know, who do I really want to be? But um, you, you sacrifice yourself for the good of the community. You sublimate your own desires and then the community bestows honor on you in exchange. And that's how you form an identity in a traditional culture. And so in traditional cultures, uh, you have relatively little freedom. You take over the family farm or you embark on the trade that your father practiced. Or you sacrifice yourself, or at least you're willing to sacrifice your life for the sake of your, uh, your people, your nation. Or, if you're a woman, you sacrifice yourself by, uh, by having children, right? So, um, I mean, that feels like an oversimplification, but it, I think that's pretty much true, right? Um, your worth, your value comes from doing, uh, sacrificing yourself for the good of others and you receive validation from your community as they bestow honor upon you. Your, your, your identity is formed externally. Now, I know that this description kind of sounds ridiculous uh, to most modern ears, um, but we, we have to at least pause and consider the fact that most people who have walked upon the earth and in fact, most people who are walking upon the earth today who don't live in Europe or North America, this is the way that identity is formed. Not looking to myself, but looking externally to my community, to people um, that I respect, sacrificing myself for the good of the whole and receiving honor in exchange. Traditional identities are based on externals. You look to your community. But a modern identity, what does it look like? A modern identity is exactly the opposite in every single possible way. So if in traditional identity you look to externals, in a modern identity you look to yourself. You don't look to what anybody else says. In fact, it's, 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 it's ridiculous to uh, look to what anybody else says. What you have to do is you have to, I mean, it would almost be evil, we think, to care what anybody else would have to say. You just do you. You need to look inside yourself. You need to just discover who you really are. Uh, and then you cast off what, what other people would say about you and you um, pursue for yourself a life of meaning. So what modern culture says is this, um, if traditional, traditional identity is built on community, modern identity is built on freedom. And freedom is defined as the freedom to do whatever you want. That's the way that modern identity is built. So um, 
you look inside yourself. And listen, this is so ingrained in so many of us that we don't even realize how ingrained it is. And my hunch is that if you're here and you are, let's say, maybe on the older side of our congregation, you're probably thinking, I have a traditional identity. I'm not like one of these younger people who's ruining the world by just being selfish all the time and doing their own thing. And if uh, you probably wouldn't say it quite that pessimistically. We tend not to realize how ingrained this modern identity um, formation is in us, um, but it's everywhere. And so much of the way that this is passed down is um, subversive, I mean, borderline manipulative. Um, Because nobody was ever, none of you have ever been to a seminar in school where you were sat down and the teacher said, okay, you can either form a traditional identity by looking to externals, or you can form a uh, modern identity by looking t- into yourself. We recommend the modern identity approach. Nobody has ever said that. And the way that this is passed down is not through bullet points and through information. The way it's passed down is through storytelling. And I know I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying this, but uh, you see this in stories all the time, but this is the theme of every single Disney movie ever. Okay? So, for instance... Moana, How Far I'll Go, the biggest song in Moana. This girl, she's on an island, and um, this is what she says. I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember, never really knowing why. I wish I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water no matter how hard I try. Every turn I take, every trail I take, every path I make, every road leads me back to the place I know where I cannot go where I long to be. So what she's saying is, I'm a part of this traditional culture that says, you have to be an island girl. And then she says, see the line where the sky meets the sea? It calls me. And no one knows how far I'll go. If the wind in my sail on the sea stays behind me one day, if I go, there's no telling just how far I'll go. First verse. Second verse is even more overt. I know everybody on this island seems so happy on this island. Everything is by design. I know everybody on this island has a role on this island, so maybe I can roll with mine. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along. The traditional culture. But there's the voice inside me that sings a different song. What is wrong with me? See, the light as it shines on the sea, it's blinding, but no one knows how deep it goes. I have to be true to myself, so what do I do? The, this, the line where the sky meets the sea, it calls me, and no one knows how far I'll go. This plot line of every Disney movie is a person who's grown up in a traditional culture. Uh, how do you become the hero? Um, well, in a traditional culture, you become a hero by sacrificing yourself for the good of the culture. But in a modern identity, you become the hero by casting off the traditional culture and doing your own thing. You have to discover for yourself who you really are. It's taught in schools. It's communicated in workplaces. This is everywhere. I can remember before I went to seminary, I worked for a year at Washington Mutual, and I worked for a loan officer who sold loans that ruined the economy. I'm sorry. Um, But uh, we made a lot of money for a very short period of time. And and I was in this position where I had a job that we were making a lot of money. 
and I was leaving that job to go to seminary to become a pastor, and I couldn't explain to the people I was working with, because nobody was a Christian, why I was going to do this. And because um, they wouldn't understand if I said, I believe God's calling me to do this, and the highest goal of my life is to follow Jesus wherever he calls me. They look at you like you have two heads. So I said, well, this is what I feel like I really want to do. And it was amazing as I was leaving, like the accolades people I worked with would give me because what was I doing? I was giving up this job where we're making money to go do what I really wanted to do inside. That is the modern hero story. That is the modern hero story. What's the message? Traditional identity is holding you back and the new hero is the one who casts off a traditional identity and follows their heart. Now what's wrong with that? It's so ingrained in us that to question it seems like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, there are so many problems with this. I think I'm going to give you um, three, maybe four. I think I got four problems. Um, even secular sources, that are, by the way, are beginning to point out that there are massive problems with this modern identity that says you do you. Um, and the first is that it's unstable. Um, modern identities are unstable because I, I look inside myself, but what if I don't know how I feel? Or what if I feel one way today and next week I feel a different way? Or in 10 years I feel a different way? Um, you know, I know that I am married to this person. But surely God wants me to be happy. And so surely God must be behind me as I'm cheating on my spouse, as I'm divorcing my spouse, as I'm moving in with this other person. Um, I have sadly walked down the road with people who have said exactly that. Uh, a traditional identity says, I know this is wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to do it. Modern identity says, God is on my side as I'm cheating on my spouse. Um, it's unstable. We live in a culture that says you have to choose for yourself what is the highest good, and the result is that we live in a culture that is paralyzed by anxiety. Tiny example of this, over Thanksgiving, um, our family, we went uh, on vacation with my in-laws, and my father-in-law and I went to the grocery store to buy supplies for pasta and almost had a nervous breakdown because we walked into the aisle where you choose pasta sauce and two grown adult men with I don't know how many degrees between the two of us were paralyzed by choice. There's like 87,000 kinds of pre-made pasta sauce there and do you, do you want the organic or do you want the ragu and like what's the difference and there's 47 varieties of each. It's just... When you live in a world that says you have to create everything from scratch, we live with decision fatigue. And we, we increasingly uh, find ourselves going, I don't even care, just somebody else decide, just don't ask me. I, I just can't be the one to decide anymore. It's overwhelming to me. Um, it's unstable. It's, un, it's unstable. Uh, the second problem with a modern identity is that you are not nearly as free as you think you are. We think of ourselves as rational, autonomous individuals. Uh, marketers and social media indus, uh, engineers know that human beings are herd-like creatures who are very easily manipulated. Um, 
give you an example. Where do all of the hip, independent, modern identity forming people hang out? They all hang out at, uh, they all hang out at coffee shops that have great coffee, right? And the thing is, you can go to any major city, uh, at least in the West, and you can walk into a coffee shop and they all look exactly the same. Um, you could go to Mission Viejo, or you could go to London, you could go to, I don't know, Melbourne, Australia, and you walk into a coffee shop where they're pouring pour-overs, and they've got subway tile, and reclaimed wood, and succulents, and there are bearded men in flannel shirts on their Apple laptops. <laughs> How come all these independent people look exactly the same? <laughs> We're not nearly as, uh, as individual as we tend to think that we are. Uh, you're not as free as you think you are. So think about this. Let's say that you're a woman and you're in your mid-twenties and uh, you have a job opportunity that takes you to the other side of the country but you also have a relationship that would keep you here. What do you do? Well, a traditional culture says easy decision. You gotta take the the man, because you're, you're nothing without uh, sacrificing yourself for the family. Okay, that's what the traditional culture says. What do the modern culture say? The modern culture says, don't you dare sacrifice your job for that guy. You better leave. You better go. Uh, it's an easy decision. You are not nearly... So did you choose that? No, you didn't choose it. <laughs> that's what your culture says you have to do. We are not nearly as autonomous as we think we are. Uh, third reason the modern identity breaks down is it's super judgy. <laughs> super, super judgy. So um, what if your identity is based on what you've chosen and you, uh, it, it, let me say it like this. If your identity is based on what you've chosen, you have to look down on people who've chosen a different identity for themselves. So on the surface, you do you sounds really open-minded, but you actually have to choose something to base your identity on. And so if you base your identity on, you know, I look inside myself and I just really love my family. And so, you know, I'm not going to be like one of those people who is a slave to their job and who is sacrificing his family for the sake of his work and is always getting home late and is always making these terrible choices and is a slave to money and his boss. Uh, I'm a good person. I, I, I sacrifice, I, like, I believe in my family, I love my family. And so you have to then look down on the person who is a slave to his job, and vice versa. It doesn't work. What have you just done? You're judging all the people who looked inside themselves and saw something different inside themselves than what you saw. It's super judgy. And then the final thing is, uh, the final problem at least that I'm gonna mention today with a modern identity is that it's completely unworkable. Um, you really do not want a doctor who is doing surgery for the sake of self-exploration. Um, if you're on final approach in a plane at LAX, you do not want an air traffic controller who is rethinking his relationship with objective reality. When you approach a red light at a signal, you don't want the other cars around you to choose their favorite color. <laughs> um, yeah, I could go on. Uh, it falls apart. It falls apart. Um, it falls apart, and yet, 
the problem uh, or the answer with the mo the answer to the modern identity is not to say okay let's all just go back in time and let's just grit it out and subjugate our desires to uh, the good of the, the, gr the greater culture, and let's all become traditional identity people again. Um, in traditional identity, think about it like this. You have very little freedom, but you get meaning through community. Uh, you have very little personal freedom, but you have lots of community. Um, is freedom good? Yeah, freedom is good. If you live in North Korea right now, you need more freedom in your life, don't you? If you were born on the side of a mountain in Mongolia in the 8th century, your life would be much better with more freedom of opportunity than you have. The problem is that we live in a culture now where we are drowning in freedom. And the result is that we have very little community. Uh, we think we do. We bail on each other constantly. Text messaging you know, somebody's making dinner I, just at the last second. Now we're not coming, sorry. <laughs> like, it's literally on the stove. It doesn't matter. We have so much freedom. We have the freedom to bail on each other. The result is that we have very little community. If you're living in Orange County in 2020, you get meaning through freedom, and it is creating a culture where we are dying of loneliness. So you have freedom, but very little meaningful community. And so here's the equation. Gospel identity is, looks like this, meaning. Meaning in life equals freedom plus community. Meaning equals freedom plus community. You need freedom, you need community to have a meaningful life, to have a healthy sense of identity. And bringing them together is not like saying if we just kind of take the best of the modern and the traditional, we'll get the the perfect solution. You bring meaning and freedom together and it creates a unique third option that is more than the sum of the parts. Freedom plus community equals meaning. So is that actually biblical? Well, it's absolutely biblical because look again what Paul says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What he's describing is absolute freedom. If you are in Christ, everything about you is made new. You are not the slave to your past, to your decisions. Uh, in the modern identity, we think of freedom as freedom to do whatever you want. But in the gospel, uh, freedom is the freedom to be who God created you to be. You know, a train is not free driving down a street. A fish is not free flopping around on the dry land. Uh, freedom, in the biblical sense, is freedom to be who you were created to be. If you live long enough, eventually um, you have done some things that you're not proud of. Uh, if you live long enough, the problem with being young, I'm discovering as I'm rapidly approaching 40, I'm not going to, eventually I guess I'll get over turning 40 this year and stop talking about it, but uh, <laughs> uh, the problem with being in your 20s is that you think that the, the problem in life is you just haven't gotten there yet. The problem with being middle-aged is you're like, oh gosh, I've gotten there, and it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Or, it's not my boss's fault anymore, because now I'm the boss. So it's my fault now. <laughs> um, 
eventually, if you live long enough, you've done things you're not proud of, that you regret, that make you feel unclean. And modern identity leaves you with a choice. Either ignore those things that you don't like or just be crushed by them. But gospel identity says you are not defined by your worst moments. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The old you is gone. The new you is here. It's beautiful. It's complete freedom to become the person God is calling you to be. And so notice gospel identity, it comes from being in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, we read that phrase, in Christ, even in these short verses several times, in Christ or in him is one of the Bible's favorite ways of talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, The term that theologians use is union with Christ, but essentially it means this, that if you're in Christ, whatever happens to Jesus happens to you because you are in him. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of you because you are in him. And so gospel identity in this sense is externally driven, but it's not the same as a traditional identity in this way. Because a traditional identity and a modern identity, they are both based on what you achieve. They're both based on you working hard, either to live up to an external standard or working even harder to live up to an internal standard. And if you achieve that standard, uh, then you are filled with pride, and that doesn't usually last very long. Um, And if you fail to live up to that standard, either internal or external, you are despondent. Modern and traditional identities are based on what you achieve. Gospel identity is based on what you receive. It is the pure gift of God. It is the pure gift of God. Gospel identity is not achieved, it is received. It's not something you can earn, it's something that you must be given as a gift. It comes from outside You can't earn it. So how does that work? Well, look at verse 21. Paul says, Jason quoted this, For our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What it's saying is this, on the cross, God made Jesus to be sin. Not that Jesus was himself a sinner, but on the cross as he hung there, God treated Jesus as if, he were a sinner. God treated Jesus as if he were bearing my sin, as if he were bearing your sin. Why would God do that? Well, he does that so that he can look at me, he can look at you and treat you and me as if we had the perfect righteousness of Christ. On the cross, we receive our identity as Jesus exchanges place places with us. And so if you are in Christ, everything that happens to Jesus is now true of you. Listen, one of the fundamental issues that we're wrestling with when we talk about our identity is our need for external validation. I remember when my, uh, my kids were much smaller, um, my, uh, my, my older son, well, my second son was born and he had just started walking. And, uh, and I remember looking at him saying, Porter, I'm so proud of you. My old, his older brother said, Daddy, say you're proud of me too. Two years old. 
from the earliest age were looking for a voice that says, I see you, I know you, I love you, you are okay, I'm pleased with you. And friends, if you are in Christ, you know what God the Father says about Jesus? The only two places in the Bible, in the New Testament, where you hear the audible voice of God the Father, the beginning of Jesus' ministry before he's done anything, and at the end of his ministry before he goes to the cross. And both times he says the exact same thing. He says, this is my son who I love. I am pleased with him. And if you are in Christ, then whatever is said of Jesus, God says of you. And so if you are in Christ, then God looks at you and says, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. I see you, I know you, I love you, I am pleased with you. And if you hear the affirmation of your father, you can take anything. Gospel identity cannot be achieved, it must be received. Okay, so gospel identity um, says that our meaning in life comes from freedom in Christ. The gospel changes everything. This is critical. This is the critical distinction between those who live life as resilient disciples uh, and those who have some other form of engagement with Christianity. Um, just a few uh, statistics. Again, I'm fascinated by looking at these. Um, I can't see that side. Following Jesus shapes my whole life, body, mind, heart, and soul. Resilient disciples, 88% of them said yes. Only 51% of cultural Christians. Can you put up the next one? My relationship with Jesus impacts my life every day. 46% of cultural Christians, 86% of resilient disciples. Massive, massive difference there. Jesus has deeply transformed my life. 87% of resilient disciples say yes, only 46% of cultural Christians. Final statistic there. Jesus understands what my life is like these days. I love that. Jesus is sympathetic. He gets me. Only 51% of people who regularly go to church but whose lives are not being transformed by Jesus found that to be true. 79% of resilient disciples. Here's the problem, friends. Many of us have the gospel in our minds, but we don't have the gospel in our hearts and in our bones. The story that the culture tells us is what shapes our day-to-day -day living. That's what's in our bones when Jesus is in our heads. And so we're holding in one hand these beliefs these bullet points, these things that like propositional truths. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes, I believe that. But when I go out into my life, it's I got to do me. I got to discover for myself. And so I'm living this fragile existence. So the question then is this, how does gospel identity grow? How does gospel identity grow? Um, let me tell you, uh, this is how, how did you teach your kids how to ride their bike? I have four kids. Um, I taught them all, well, one of them just kind of started riding on his own, but I taught the other three how to ride their bike, and this is what I did. Um, when they were about four years old, I sat them down, and I gave them a manual that explained how a bike works. And I left them with the manual, and I s told them to read it, and then when they finished reading it, I said, so now you know how to ride a bike, right? Clearly, I did not do that. You get the kid on the bike, you know, you run alongside, you learn how to ride a bike by riding a bike. 
You learn how to ride a bike through experience, through trial and error, through um, developing a love and a skill for bike riding. Esther Meek is a philosophy professor who um, says that Christians need epistemological rehab. What that means is this. The way that you think you know things and the way that you think you learn things is not really the way that you learn them. We think of ourselves as rational beings where if I could just lay out three to five points for you, you will go out and do them. And it's not true. So how is gospel identity formed? Well, think about this. How did the modern identity, how is the modern identity shaped? Did you ever go like, to the seminar where you were compare and contrast? Which one do you want to choose? No, it's not taught. Um, the problem, again, for Christians is that we have Jesus in our ideas, but other uh, identities shape our bones. And so we think that we can counteract the uh, ideas that our culture is throwing at us with, with, with ideas. And so what often happens is that uh, children who grew up in a Christian home where they're told, you know, the, gosp the, the gospel is explained as propositional truth where you believe things like the Bible is true and Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. And then you go off to college where you are immersed in a totally different story and you come back four years later and say, Mom and Dad, I don't agree with anything that you taught me growing up. So how is gospel identity um, shaped? How does it grow? This is how gospel identity grows. It grows through attention, narrative, and community grows through attention, narrative, and community. So briefly, let me kind of unpack each of these. Narrative, first of all. Um, every Disney movie is pitching the idea that you need to cast off external restraints. I, you know, I already showed this. Let me... Frozen, anybody see Frozen? <laughs> so she's living, what, in a castle because she's got these gifts to freeze things. Right? Or like off by herself, isn't that what happens? I only saw this movie once. The problem for me is I go to movies and I'm like hurling the whole time. My wife's like, it'll be a good sermon illustration, stick it out. <laughs> so Elsa says, the wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know but let it go. Casting off restraint, it's told through story, right? It's told through story. Um, every Disney movie is pitching the idea to our children that if you look inside yourself and discover who you truly are and live into that reality that you will become a hero. And we sit them down, like not that often, and we say, Jesus loves you. And it's not going to work, friends. Because <laughs> they are immersed 24-7 in a story that says this, and we're, we've got like two bullet points to counteract. It's like an avalanche just rushing over our children. The narrative that you immerse yourself in will shape your identity. And this is why sp the spiritual practices that we're talking about in this series are so crucial. Reading the Bible does not make you a Christian. Praying does not make you a Christian. God will not love you more if you go to church regularly. And yet, without spiritual practices, 
you are being formed by a story that says you are only as good as your most recent accomplishment. You are only as bad uh, as the failure that you can stave off. Spiritual practices are essential because everything else in our world is saying, do whatever you want to make yourself happy. The story that you're immersing in will shape your identities. Uh, think about it like this, okay. Um, this could be true, men or women, but I, I think, of, think of this as, as women especially. So imagine you're, you're a, I don't know, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're not a mom, maybe you're a young, young woman, maybe you're an older woman. <laughs> But you're trying to do everything. You're trying to build a following on Instagram. And maybe you're trying, you've got this side hustle where you're like selling things on Etsy. And you're trying to get the kids to their activities on time. And you're trying to keep the house clean. And you're trying to put semi-nutritious food on the table for your family, uh, at least somewhat regularly. And you feel like you're failing at all of it. Why? Because there are literally not enough hours in the day to do all of that stuff. And maybe the problem is not that you're failing at doing all of these things you should be doing. The problem is that the story that you're believing has failed you. But you are immersed 24-7 in this story. And if we immerse ourselves in the story of modern identity, it will shape us. No matter what we say, you can have Jesus in your heart. Jesus, in your head, you have the story of the culture in your bones. It's going to win. Narrative. Secondly, attention. If modern identity is never taught, how is it so effective? Well, it's effective because it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in school. It's a story that's told. It's on social media. It's in every movie. It's in every advertisement. You know that there are orders of monks that, you know, the book of Psalms in the Bible, there are 150 Psalms, and there are monks who read through the Psalms every week. Every week, not every year, not every month, every week. Seems crazy, doesn't it? How do they get through 150 psalms every week? Well, seven times a day, they stop and they pray or they read or they chant. It doesn't take that long, maybe five, ten minutes, maybe 20 minutes. It doesn't take that long. They stop seven times a day and they get through. They're giving their attention to the word of God. I looked this up this morning. Statistic, I think this is two years old. Americans check their phone on average once every 12 minutes burying their heads in their phones 80 times a day. It's way more than seven. 80 times a day we are burying ourselves. And every time we're doing that, the modern identity is being reinforced, either positively or negatively. Habitual churchgoers don't stand a chance. <laughs> Going to church every two to six weeks, we don't read the Bible, we don't pray. There's simply no way when Jesus is in our heads but the culture story is in our bones to live faithfully uh, as followers of Jesus when, um, when so much of our attention is given to the modern identity formation machine. So I picked on the ladies maybe a minute ago or talked about them. So men, think about this. Maybe you're, maybe you're a guy and, and you come to church and you say, I believe in the gospel, I believe these things are true, but I don't sing because like I'm a guy and it, it's cheesy or whatever. But when you go home, um, you've got ESPN on. ESPN's in the background over dinner, over everything that's going on. 
uh, you're giving your t or you're you're on social media and you're engaged and you know you're a, a newsy you're engaged in what's going on in politics so there's a there's a vast disconnect for many Christians because we spend so few, so, so little of our attention is given to God in his word and so much of our attention is shaped um, by the culture around us it, it, it it's an unfair fight. It's an unfair fight. So narrative, attention. When we go with the flow, we are quickly going to be carried away. And finally, community. I'll wrap this up. I'm going a little bit long today. Community. Who are we going to do life with? Whoever you do life with will shape the way that you look at the world. And this is why, um, you know, in a world where increasingly many of us uh, are doing life alone and where we're surrounded by people and we're connected to anybody in the world really uh, it's like living in a world where we hear the disembodied voices and so really I'm doing life alone for many of us this is why it's so important that Hebrews 10:25 instructs Christians let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing we have to be involved in the life of a community that's going to sustain our faith. In a world where we think that we can get anything we need by listening to a podcast, like I can skip church for a month because I can be involved by listening, it's not the same thing. Listen, it's not like, nothing I've said today is original, honestly. Like you could read Faith for Exiles and listen to a conference that Tim Keller gave uh, like four years ago and listen to this cultural moment podcast like I'm plagiarizing all of this <laughs> none of the content here is so original that you have to be here to hear it why for many of us it's not simply about the content I'm not saying it's not important it is important and yet we are formed as we do life together because community is hard like it looks great on TV or on paper but actual life in actual community with people who don't just do exactly what you want them to do all the time, it's difficult. And we are formed as a community as we have those hard conversations together, as we spend time together. This is how gospel community is formed, through community, through narrative, and through attention. So friends, let me finish with this. Both modern and traditional identities are, in, are inherently weak. What happens in modern and traditional identity is the more successful you get, the less that identity actually validates you. Uh, crazy to think about, most of us haven't been successful enough to discover that our success is not really going to make us happy. Mariah Carey, in her uh, late 20s, had already accumulated more number one hits than any other musician except Elvis or the Beatles, like before she was 30. And in an interview, she was asked by a reporter if there was anything left for her to accomplish. She sat quietly for a moment, and then sheepishly she said, happiness. Happiness. The most successful female musician alive. The reporter said, how in the world can you not be happy? The reporter says, or uh, Mariah Carey said that um, she could hear a thousand praises and then just one criticism and the one criticism would overrule the thousand praises and wreck her emotionally. Listen, friends, 
if you look to your family as your ideal, you will either ignore the failings of your children or you will be crushed by them. If you look to your work to tell you that you are good enough, then when you are succeeding, you will be on top of the world, but in the back of your head, you realize it's just ratcheting up the bar another notch, and next quarter, you've got to do better, and next quarter, better, and better, and better, and it's never enough. And so the point is this, friends. If your identity is in the gospel, then when your family fails, your work fails, whatever lets you down, when your identity collapses underneath you, you will discover that Jesus is truly enough. When your identity is in the gospel, Jesus will fulfill you if you get him. And when you let him down, you will discover that he holds you in his hands. Traditional identity can never do that for you. A modern identity can never do that for you. Only Jesus will fulfill you when you get him and uphold you when you let him down. So let's look to him. Let's do this together. Let's immerse ourselves in the story. Let's pay attention to what God is doing. And let's be a community that loves and serves together. Because Jesus is worth it. He is enough. He is the only foundation that can bear the weight of our souls. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. Jesus, um, we come, all of us, half-heartedly, looking to things that could never satisfy, hoping that they will. And I pray that maybe this morning, um, you would grab a hold of our hearts, that the gospel would work its way into our bones, that these data points that we think of on Sunday morning and ignore so much of the rest of the week uh, would become more than just data. God, would you make our church uh, a place where gospel identity is shaped? Only you can do that. We pray that you would in Jesus' name. Amen.